Be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Deacon. Oh, good morning. Thank you. I'm not used to doing this. I, uh, my name is Deacon Tex. I typically don't uh, preach at our church that often, but uh, I'm just I'm glad to do it this morning. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, and I was just thinking this morning, uh, I think it was about seven years ago, six or seven years ago when I met Father Daniel, and he had talked about planting this church. And my family and I, we moved here about a year after he did. And, and to see what God is doing right now with this congregation and with this, in this community, it, it's so exciting. And I'm just, I'm just happy to be here and really excited to be preaching this morning. So thank you all for letting me do that. So let's, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Lord, thank you, Father, for this place, this church, for these people. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here together this morning. I pray, Father, that the words of my lips, the meditations of my heart, Lord, would be pleasing and glorifying to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So when I was about uh, nine years old, I went on this camping trip with my dad. It was a church camping trip and father-son kind of thing. And where we camped, it was right next to this lake. And it was a pretty lake. And being that it was a camping trip with a bunch of fathers and sons, we had a competition going on. Who could catch the biggest fish, right, out of this, this pretty lake? And I had grown up fishing. I kind of I knew what to do. My dad and my grandfather had, you know, taught me how to fish. And, and I watched the other kids fishing, and I, I, I knew they weren't doing it right. Um, and and the, the thing was, whoever caught the biggest fish was going to win a prize. You're going to win this really nice new fishing rod. And I was, I was stoked. I, I wanted that fishing rod, and I, I really thought... You know, I, I can beat these kids. I, I can catch a bigger fish than that. So, you know, I, I, I watched them kind of play around in the shallow water. They were, they were throwing their lines in uh, right by the edge, or, or if they were going out on the dock, they were just kind of dropping their lines and fishing with little worms and bobbers, and I kind of laughed, and I thought, well, that's not going to work. And so I, I did the right thing. I went to the tackle box. I, I found the right hook. It was a little bit bigger than what they were using. I got the right bait because I was going after deep water fish. And I, you know, tied my hook on, went out to the edge of the dock, and I found exactly the right spot. I knew where the fish was going to be. So I threw my line out and started watching it. I watched it like a hawk. And, you know, nine years old, it, it, it takes a lot of patience fishing. I sat there and watched and watched and watched. About an hour went by. I've been watching this line. Now, like I said, I'd grown up doing this, so I knew it was going to take a while. But I was getting a little hungry. And so I was kind of sitting there, okay, I'm in the right spot. I tied the right hook. I got the right bait on there. I'm good. I know I'm good. I want to leave it there. But I'm really hungry. So I got to run back to camp. So camp's not that far from the dock. So I do that. I take off, run to camp, go grab me a snack, run back, pick up my rod. I get down to where my rod is, or was, and looked down and it was gone. My rod was gone. Right where I'd, and I'd only been gone for maybe a minute, maybe a minute and a half. And staring down at that spot where it was, I, I realized pretty quickly what had happened. You see, I knew I had done everything right. I had tied the right hook, used the right bait, found exactly the right spot. So the only logical conclusion is that the biggest fish in the lake had come by, 
grabbed my rod, pulled it so hard that it pulled it in the lake, and now this big catfish was swimming around in the lake with my rod hanging on the other end of his mouth. And I was devastated, right? You know, nine years old. I lost my, it was my rod too. You know, I had my own rod and I'd lost it. I'd lost everything. And, you know, I think that's just how it goes sometimes. I feel like sometimes we can do everything right. We feel like we can do everything right, you know, and we're persistent. We, we try hard and then we do one little thing that screws up. We screw it up and we just get devastated because we lose everything. Right? I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there quite a bit in my life. Just like I said, just doing everything right. And then, man, one little thing, oh, I screwed up again. And when I get to this passage in Colossians, I, I, I see Paul, he's, he's laying out this, um, it's really a new way of life for these Colossians. And it's, it's hard for me when I read this. It is hard for me not to see this as a list of Paul telling these Colossians, how to do better, how to do right, right? How to do the right thing, how not to screw up, how not to sin. You know, Paul is laying out this new, really a new way of life. And it starts out, our passage, it's funny, it starts out, it's pretty strong this morning. We, we've had some pretty, uh, pretty deep texts this morning, right? This one starts out with put to death, put to death, sexual immorality, Impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying, prejudices. And, I mean, we can see why those things should be put to death. Those are not good things, right? I mean, any, any uh, moral person, uh, any religion will actually, most religions will say, these things are not too good. You don't want to do these things, right? And, but he goes even further. It's not that these things are just bad it's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. That's kind of scary talk, right? You read that, wrath of God, I, you know, makes me nervous. And then after laying out all these things that we're not supposed to do as Christians, or these Colossians are not supposed to do, he tells them instead that they need to be, what? Compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forgiving, and above all, loving. Now, like I said, one way to read this passage is to see, that, to see it as Paul laying out this, the do's and don'ts of Christianity, right? And we have to remember that these Christians, this is, this is a new, this is actually, this is a pretty new church. Uh, I think Father Daniel talked about Epaphras the first week who was in Ephesus when Paul was preaching there. And went back to Colossae and, and actually started this church. And Epaphras is actually with Paul when he's writing this. Paul is, Paul's locked up while he's writing this. And he's writing this to Epaphras' church, the church in Colossae. And this is probably, this is one of the first things they've heard from Paul. So they're getting this letter and it's pretty heavy stuff. Do this, don't do that. And that, that's, a lot of times, that's when I read that, that's what I hear. And it sounds like Paul is saying, you know, this is the life God wants for you. He wants you to do these things, and he wants you to stop doing these things. Stop being pagans, right? Now, consciously, I know we don't always read it that way. We don't read the Bible that way. And if you've grown up in any, uh, around Christianity or been around it for uh, a 
long enough time, you'll hear, you know, it's not about, you know, it's not a religion of doing a set of rules. It's not a religion of um, do's and don'ts. And there's, and, but truthfully, there's really no way around the fact that Paul is saying to this group of Christians what they should and shouldn't do, right? I mean, it, it's clear. And growing up, at least for me, these kind of scriptures, and, and even now, they're, they're, they're kind of tough to deal with, you know? Uh, and, and for me, practically, the way this has worked out a lot of times is I'll see these, I'll see the good things and say, okay, I can, I can do those things, right? And I try hard and I, I work at it and I, I do the right thing. I'm, I'm nice, I'm, I'm humble, I'm meek, I try to be. And then every now and then, I screw up, right? And what do I do? I don't know about you guys, and, but what I do often when I screw up, when I sin, I try and make myself feel bad, right? You start making yourself feel bad. It, it, you kind of, you become a whipping boy. You think this is, you know, this is not the way I'm supposed to be. And you just get into this, you know, ongoing thing of, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not who I'm supposed to be, right? I screwed up. And, you know, obviously we're supposed to ask for forgiveness, but typically, at least in my case, I just beat myself up about it. A lot of times I'll beat myself up about it, make, make myself feel really bad, fixate on what I've done wrong. And when I read this list, I think, oh my God, yeah, I've done some of these things. And that is until we finally feel like we've beat ourselves up enough, and now we can go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, right? I don't know about you, but I know that's, that's been a, the case for me. And when we do, sometimes we get our life back on track, do the right things. You know, I'm starting to read my Bible again daily, praying daily. I'm, I'm on it, you know. I'm doing everything right again. And I get going, and it's really great. And, and then I screw up again, right? Does that happen, Does that happen to you guys? Does that ever happen to y'all? You know, and, and we, get in this, we get in this loop of really beating ourselves up over our sin and feeling like we have to do that before we can come to Christ. We work hard, we try and do our best, but we get back into this loop and it seems endless sometimes. And I think that, you know, when we get in that loop and when we start looking at ourselves and focusing on ourselves, that's when the depression, anxiety, nervousness comes in. And that right there, I believe that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. The enemy wants us to be focused on our own efforts, focused in on ourselves. And there's this, there's this song, uh, it's based off of Psalm 42, Why Are You Downcast, O My Soul? It's called Satisfied in You. I'd recommend looking at it. It's called by, by the Sing Team. It's a great song. It captures this idea with a lyric that has always just stuck out to me. It's an odd lyric in the song, but it really, it captures this, I think. It says, when I'm looking at the ground, it's an inbred feedback loop that drags me down. To me, that's always just kind of meant that, that you know, that's what it feels like. There's, there's this loop sometimes that we just can't get out of. There's this loop of, of just trying to do the right thing, trying to do the right thing, and then failing, screwing up, getting right back to where the enemy really wants us feeling bad about ourselves. And they keep reminding, the enemy will do that. They'll remind us of that. They'll remind us of our own failures. 
The enemy loves to condemn us. And that's the word, condemn. Make us feel shameful. And where does this condemnation lead? Like I said, depression, anxiety, inward focusing, and then eventually death. That's where this will lead. Now, I want to be clear here. That's not to say that we should never focus on our sin or what we do wrong. I mean, the daily office encourages us every day, right? Good Anglicans, every day, morning, afternoon, evening. Confess your sins. Draw them to mind. And every week, we collectively do that, right? I mean, every week we come to church and we, we confess our sins, you know, collectively before we come to the table. I mean, as Anglicans, we have a whole season of this, right? We have Lent. We can come and, and, and we have a whole season of drawing this to mind. But there is a difference. There's a difference between focusing on your sin and feeling condemnation and focusing on your sin and feeling conviction. And I think that that's important to make that distinction. You know, one is from the enemy. Condemnation, this, this, if it leads to inward focusing and depression and anxiety, that's from the enemy. And one is from the Holy Spirit. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit, and conviction leads to true repentance. Paul, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. It says, for godly grief or conviction produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas, godly, whereas worldly grief or condemnation produces death. And if we read this passage or any other similar passage of, in the scriptures of just, this, of just a do's and don'ts, and we've got to get it right, and we do this in our own strength, that's where it's going to lead us. It's going to lead us to feeling condemned or possibly just as bad, going to lead us to being prideful, Right? Oh, we've done every. I've, I've done most of this, right? I've done. I've done a pretty good job here. I've, you know, I haven't done many of these things in a long time. Feeling prideful. So if if that's not what Paul really is doing here, is not giving us this this moral code or a new way of you know simply doing things. I, I'm, I'm want, I, you know, it makes me think. What is what is he doing? And I got to be honest with you here. I'm I'm all for our lectionary. I love. Uh, I'm an Anglican. Um, I, think that we do a, I think we do a good job in a lot of things. But sometimes our Sunday lectionary, it misses some things, right? We, we kind of miss some things in our readings. And, you know, like today, partly I'm very excited about today's because today stopped in verse 17. And verse 18 is the wives submit to your husband. Now, I'm not one for preaching on that. I'm going to leave that to Daniel. I'm going to let him have that one. But, um, <clears throat> but what we missed... We miss verses 1 through 5 in Colossians 3. And I think that right there, this, this is the meat. This is where Paul is saying, first off, we get a therefore. It says, put to death therefore, right? That's what we, we started with. Well, anytime there's a therefore, you got to look at what came before it. And so <clears throat> I'm going to read that. Verses 1 through 5 to us starts out, if then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear 
with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It comes before. This is, this is I believe, this is the meat. You see, he's, Paul is pointing to the reality of what the Christian life is. These first five scriptures, this is, this is what it is. This, is. this is who we are. He's reminding the Colossians of who they are in Christ. This is who we are as well. As Christians, we have, we have been raised with Christ. We have died to ourselves, so it only makes sense that we would seek things that are above. And I know we use this language, you know, we've died to ourselves, we've been raised with Christ. And I know me growing up in church, I would hear that, but and sometimes that kind of just sounds like Christianese, right? You just hear these kind of things that, you know, we, we've heard before in church, or if you're not, you know, maybe that's just, what are they saying? But he is imploring the Colossians here to remember the fact, remember the fact that their old life has been buried with Christ. It's gone. And that is the same for us. It truly is. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've been baptized in this faith, you have been raised in Christ. This is a reality that Paul is stressing to the Colossians. And we know that it's important to him. I mean, obviously it's important because, because he's repeating himself, right? I mean, earlier in the same letter, he writes that we have, been we have been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God. This, it truly isn't Christianese, and I know it's hard to kind of get all that, but this is the gospel, people. This is, this is what Christ has done for us. And I would argue that this is the main point that Paul is trying to get across to these Colossians. You're new people. You have been raised with Christ. You're not your old self. We have to hear that. So, and Paul, Paul repeats it so many times in this letter. You're new. You're a new self. You've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the life that Paul lays out here in chapter 3, it's not one that can be lived in your old self on strength. Don't we do that? I do that all the time. I try and rely on my own strength all the time. And that's where it leads me. It leads me to this place of, of anxiety, of, Lord, I'm, I just can't, I can't do this. I can't do this right. Happens all the time to me because I rely on myself. And it can, we can't do that. Why can't we do that? Because what the text says, we have what? We've died. We've been buried with Christ. So how can we rely on ourself. Paul says, he continues, he says, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, that's a lot going on there, but I, I think this is the same idea. You see, he's repeating himself again. You're new. You're different. You've been changed by the Holy Spirit. Christ has changed you. And what I love about what Paul is doing here is he's pleading with the Colossians. He's not pleading with them to work harder. He's not pleading with them to say, come on, guys, you got, you got to do better. You got to do better. What he's pleading with them to do is remember. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember who you are. This is all past tense. That's the beautiful thing. 
If you have accepted Christ, this is, this is past tense what he's saying. You have died. You have put off the old self. You have put on the new. These are past tense. This is the only thing that's present tense is the fact that you are being renewed in the image of Christ. This life that he's laid out and this, this, this life in chapter three, this is a process of renewal, right? It's the, it's the process of becoming Christ-like. This is, what, this is what the Lord wants for us. And just like being born and, and growing up into maturity, that takes some time. It, it takes some stumbling. It takes some walking and falling. It's not something that happens overnight. Now, obviously, I know we, we've all heard stories. I, I think, uh, I know Father Robin last week talked about someone that he knew that, that the Lord took away, he, had al- he was alcoholic. He took away alcoholism just like that as soon as he came to Christ. And that does happen. I mean, I, I've seen it happen with friends of mine. I've seen it happen with me. There's been things that the Lord just took away instantly when I came to Christ, but it doesn't happen like that every time. And it doesn't, it's not, it's not this, that it, God doesn't just take something away and then he's done. He keeps working on us. He keeps, through this process, through, through living out the Christian life, Christ comes in and he keeps working on us. He wants us to be Christ-like. There's this uh, image that C.S. Lewis, if you haven't ever read Mere Christianity, I would highly recommend it. It's one of the books that really brought me back to faith. And uh, he, he, he kind of talks about this idea of, of Christ coming in and, and, and changing us. Right? I love this. I'm just going to read this passage. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. Right? He's, getting rid, he's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof, right? getting rid of those you know, big sins in your life that you know, got to get rid of. But presently, then, he starts knocking about in a way that hurts, does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. And I love that. Uh-huh. And that what we all, oh, you know, the Lord just wants me to be a good, good person and, you know, just love, love people. But no, he's building a palace. He is building a palace that he intends to come in and live in himself. That's what he's doing. That's what this process is. That's what this living out, that's what this putting to death these earthly things is. Christ can't dwell in us when there's, when there's earthly things that are bringing about the wrath of God. And I know this is, this is countercultural, right? To say that we need someone from the outside to come in and fix us. I don't know. I know growing up in, in every modern story that we hear, every book and even most religions, it's not really about looking outside of ourselves for help. What is it? What is most... Religions tell us we we got a way of life. We have to look deep inside. I know my kids love Disney, right? I mean, every story, it's a Disney book or Disney movie is look deep down inside yourself. Find who you truly are, right? Well, who we truly are are fallen people. We need someone from the outside to come in and change our life. 
It's exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying, right? No, there's not this beautiful, deep person down inside me without Christ. In fact, when I've been baptized in the Christ, that person has died. And I have been risen, and my new self, who I truly am, what does he say? Is hidden in Christ. So if I'm looking inside anyone to find out who I truly am, if I'm a Christian, I need to look inside Christ. I need to look at who he truly is to know who I am. And it's out of knowing who we truly are that we can live this life and that we can experience this process of renewal. The end of our passage says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. Now, here Paul goes again. He's, he's repeating himself, right? What'd you hear again and again? He's, he, he's summing this thing up for us. The Christian life that he lays out, this, this Christian community can only be lived out through thankfulness, right? He says it three times in that passage. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Thankfulness in your heart, giving thanks to Christ three times in just a few short sentences. And that's hard for Paul because he writes really long sentences. <laughs> it's not about, the way we live this out is not about gritting our teeth, trying harder, doing better. It's lived out, this Christian life is lived out through gratitude. It's by looking at Christ and realizing what he has done for us. And if you don't know what Christ has done for you, I implore you, I, I, please come and talk to, to one of us. Talk to Father Daniel or any, a lot of our folks here. Talk to someone. Ask them what Christ has done for you. You know, Father Daniel, he opened this series in Colossians, calling it Christ and Y'all. I like that. And we're, and we're back to where we began. You know, everything in this section is how to live in community with one another, how to practice this like, Christian life, how to live this out. And it's the way we collectively put to death what is earthly in us, right? How to let Christ rule in our hearts. And that peace that comes from the gratitude of knowing who we are and what Christ has done for us. That's what, that's what this is about. And, and, it's, and it, is, it uses a lot of us language, y'all, Christ and y'all. And when we know these things, we know who Christ is and we know what he has done for us, we can forgive each other. We can actually live this out because we've been forgiven. Closes it with, with love, love one another. We can love one another because Christ has loved us. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly, I love that word, abundantly. 
Christ is not only supposed to just enter your heart, open the door wide open for him. That's what I would encourage everyone this morning. Let him take over. Let him rip out the plumbing, tear down the walls. Let him build you anew into the person that he wants you to be. Because it's only really out of that love. It's only out of Christ coming in and remaking us into who he wants us to be that we will be able to live a life that glorifies the Father. Not based on anything we've done, not based on our merits and our gritting of teeth and doing right and doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. It's not based on that. It's based on what Christ has done for us. So I, I started this, this sermon, this talk this morning, sharing a, a little story about me as a nine-year-old standing on the dock, realizing I'd lost everything, right, after I'd done everything right. And I'd really, after that, I'd just given up. I was, I was upset, walked away, tried to enjoy the rest of my camping trip. But it was tough. And just like Christ... When we, when we try our hardest and we, and we end up screwing up and we do wrong, that's not where our, our story stops. It doesn't stop with, with, us, with Christ leaving us out to dry. And my story, the camping story, doesn't stop there either. It's, it, was, it was a fun trip. My, my dad, actually, as we were packing up, he, he, he asked me, he said, hey, buddy, you want to go try and find your rod? I thought, well, it's gone. I've, I've lost it. I've given up on looking for that. It's not there. He says, no, I got, I got a way. So we, we, walk out, we walk out to the end of the dock, and he ties a, uh, a weight on the end of the line and, and a few hooks, actually. And he throws the line in, in the lake and starts reeling it in. And I'm just watching, thinking, what is he? There's no way he's going to get this rod. And he starts pulling up kind of leaves and, and sticks and things like that. And then about a third or fourth cast, he he pulls this, he starts saying, oh, I think I got something. And, and I look in the water, and, and lo and behold, there it is. The rod starts coming up. He had hooked it, right? My dad had hooked it, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. I can't believe I'm going to get my rod back. And so he pulled it up, and he was really excited. He said, here you go, son, you know, take it and reel it in. Let's, let's get packed up. And so I started reeling it in, and, and then I felt a tug on the line. And I thought, there's no way. There's no way, but it, but it was. There was a fish on the end of it, and I, I pulled it and pulled it and pulled it, and I pulled in about a three- to five-pound catfish. That was by far the biggest fish <laughs> that anyone had caught on that trip. And I was so excited, and I remember looking at, honestly, that, that was just, there's so much about that that I remember, but one of the main things is that I looked up, my dad, he was just smiling. He was just so happy. He was excited for me, right? He'd, he'd, help, he'd watch me do it. He got to, you know, got to pull that fish in. And I think from that story, I think this is, to me, it makes me think of how Christ is with us, right? I, my, my daddy, he had nothing to do with me out there trying to do everything on my own. I was searching through my tackle box, finding the right hook, the right bait, all this stuff. But whenever I said, okay, I can't do it, I need someone else. I need help. My dad came along and says, hey, let me, let me take this from you. He took it. He threw it, threw it in, actually restored my rod, gave me my rod back. 
Not only did I get my rod back, I caught the big fish and I won the new rod. I won the prize. <laughs> right? Isn't that what Christ does with us? Not only does he restore us, make us new, he even lets us participate. Lets us participate in his work. And that's what, Christ, that's what Paul is describing here. He's describing the Christian life. This, this, this process of renewal, and he's, he's, he's showing how, how a community comes together to glorify God. And he's talking about how, really, this is how the kingdom of God comes. And we get to be a part of that. The Christian life is not simply a list of do's and don'ts. It's a way of participating in the work of bringing about God's kingdom. You see, we're never going to be able to glorify God in our own strength. It's just not going to happen. We have to allow Christ to do that for us. And my prayer for this Christian community, ever since I've been here, my prayer from day one and my prayer today as, as we continue growing is that all of us to collectively, together, would allow Christ to reign in our heart. Because it's, it's really, that's the only way that we're going to make an impact. That's really the only way that we are going to be able to bring about God's kingdom here in Athens, Georgia. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.